Jesse, what's the invitation number again? 813. Sorry about that. Well, I get over there for myself. I wanted to welcome all of you to our worship service this morning. And, brother, good to have you back. I'm talking to Jerry. <laughs> Jerry does like, are you talking to me? <laughs> good to have you back, brother. So good to see your face. And the other thing I wanted to um, share is, I, first of all, I really appreciate what, what was said by Kenny this morning with regard to the work that's going on in the jails. I mean, the whole purpose of us walking and working with one another in our service to the Lord is to bring precious souls, as ugly as these precious souls can be, as messy as their lives can be, as we looked at in last week's sermon, right, on growing pains, this is what we are called to do in, in reaching the lost. And it's uncomfortable at times. And you may not be there yourself as an individual in your walk with the Lord, but we have many who have been growing and maturing in Christ and, and have the time, the energy, the availability in this time of your life. And, and so I'm, I pray that you will take advantage of, of these opportunities. It's scary. It gets real. And so as a result, the encouragement is there for us to, to walk this way. Well, this morning is actually a continuation of last week, not from a growing pains standpoint, but it's a very simple lesson as to well, what is it that we are specifically doing in our work with the Lord. And we're only going to be looking at, unless I decide two more passages in my head, at two passages in the scriptures, just two. And as we look at these passages, based upon the reading that we have right here in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see sometimes these sermons, they just, they're laid out right from within God's word. The passage is simple. What you do with the passage, well, that's the make or break. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to go back and just kind of recap on this whole letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. So really what he's talking about at the very beginning in the church is that you know, God has given us everything that we need to bring him glory. That's basically what he's saying. And as, as this picture unfolds, we have Jesus as the head and the rest of us are his body and we submit to him. We have made the decision as children of God to follow him. That was our decision by faith. And then with that, the growing pain was, as we looked at last week, was that you're going to have different people from different walks of life coming together. And that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, where the Jews and Gentiles come together. That wall of partition that the Jews had and the Gentiles had when they saw as they went to the temple site had been broken down through Jesus Christ. Metaphorically, the, the wall was still there actually physically in Jerusalem. But metaphorically, he says, not in Christ. It's broken down. And 2,000 years later, we're still learning how to break down these barriers between those who are children of God and those who are coming into the kingdom. And so we looked at that, and of course, the actual message is the gospel itself. And that's what he was referring to in chapter 3, this mystery being revealed. And it is through the Lord's church in all its diversity that we see the manifold wisdom of God. In fact, I want you to look at the, the passage here. In, well, I guess it's going to be more than two verses. So go ahead. Look at what he says here in verse 8 following of chapter 3. 
To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by, or in some translations, through the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So this manifold wisdom of God can be seen when you have the rich and the poor, the black and the white. You got the Hawaiian and the white man. I mean, there's all cultures involved, everything, country or city, folk, whatever it may be, all making up this body. You have some who have lived freely and some incarcerated for their sins and because of their sins. Some escaping incarceration full of sin and others wrongfully put into the jail system. But that's who you have coming into the body of Christ, all kinds within the background. And what we are seeing here in chapter 4 is for the calling for everyone that makes up this body, this picture of this person is representing the Lord's church. And we're called to walk worthy of that calling. And what that looks like is based upon how we have been brought up in the teaching of Scripture. And that's what brings us to chapter 4, Verse 11, we have read many times this passage and looked at various assets or facets, I should say, of the text here. And we're going to look at this big picture right now. And once you see the big picture in how it's unfolding through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So we understand how the body works, right? We've got sermons, many sermons, many Bible studies. We get the picture that this body of Christ is metaphorically used through a picture of a human body. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, um, we get here in Ephesians 4, a lot of passages that deals with how we've got individual members, whether it's digits of our fingers or the ears, the eyes, the nose, whatever, the organs, all of these things that make up what we call a body is used to illustrate what goes on in the Lord's church, the body of Christ. And it is this analogy that the Apostle Paul is focused on in how we are to grow together by all these different members within the body of Christ, of all our different backgrounds, of all our different baggage that we have to become this full measure of the stature of Christ. I'm going to reread what was read for us by Jake one more time so that we get to focus in and see this unfolding as we go from, from one verse to the next. Every verse leads to the next as far as this, this point as to who we are, what our purpose is, and how we accomplish the goal through this purpose. And then we get to see the end result as a result. So Ephesians 4, one more time, verse 11 following. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Or for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
It is so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but instead speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Very clear, very succinct message as to what he is wanting for us and how we get from point A to point B and point A being a person who is now in the body of Christ and how they're going to be equipped to go out and serve so that we get to the the actual goal being one in Christ. That's the picture. And this, this illustration here is given all throughout the New Testament scriptures at various points in Paul's teachings. And so that's what we're looking at. So we've got the different joints within the body, right? The different body parts. And whether you actually deal with joints in illustration, whatever, the, the point is very clear. You've got various individuals that are trying to do this teaching aspect, okay? And sometimes when we're thinking about the teaching aspect of this, we get into um, a limitation as far as these commandments of God and what have you, and they include these things. But that's not the point of what's being said right here. What he is saying is all these individuals are going out and teaching God's word so that those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ can be well equipped. And what we're being well equipped for, he already explains as we've just read. And so look at what he's saying, what our equipping is for. Okay? We are being equipped through the teaching that goes on, whether it's in the Bible studies, through the sermons. I mean, if we move this passage 2,000 years forward, we won't say necessarily apostles and prophets from that standpoint. We might have Bible class teachers, right? We might have, um, someone's mentioning the word mentors from a jail standpoint, but in the body of Christ, you have people who serve as mentors in this regard. And so there's various ways that we could say it in a more modern vernacular, but we've got the equipping of the saints. Our equipping is so that we can serve. That's what we are doing. We're here to minister. We have ministries. That sounds like a denominational term, but it's a biblical term right here in Ephesians 4, verse 12. It is for the work of ministry, for the work of serving. And our work of serving that we've been equipped for is to build up, to edify the body of Christ. And that's what the word edification means, right? To build up. Simple. There's nothing here that is rocket science as far as Christianity. This is what Christianity is about. You have been taken from the world, brought near to the Lord, and now you're equipped through the teaching of God's word to serve. And your equipping is so that we could be built up, edified. So that's the purpose for us to be built up. Here's the goal. The goal is as we are being built up, we all come to this unity of the faith. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, be of the same mind. That's why in Romans chapter 12, he tells us as we've been living sacrifices, right? Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that we would behave as one body, even though we're made up of many members. And that's why in Philippians chapter 2, we're told to, to go ahead and look out for the best in the interest of everyone so that we can all be one. 
have the mind in Christ be in you as well. So it is for this unity, and he says synonymously, or in, in other words, I want you to be a perfect man as a body, a healthy individual. That's what the Lord's church is reflecting as, a perfect man. Or in other words, that we would be as a church the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, he's saying the same thing. So that's the goal. Everything that we are doing in our Bible studies, as we're studying God's word, like right now we're in Job. And I remember um, someone recently telling me that, oh, how dis distracting, or, or not distracting, but it's just a despairing book. It depresses me. And hopefully what you're getting from the Bible study and what I'm getting from the Bible study is this is really helping us to get perspective so that we can look at life from a vantage point that is heavenly. So we look at the way things go on in life and, and we, with this good perspective, we can live this life right here. This is what God wants for us. So that's the goal, right? That's what we have. To reach that goal... Here's what you don't do. This is not how you behave. It's opposite of being a perfect man. It's like being a bratty child. That we should no longer be children. Every time you hear the phrase in scripture about growing up in the Lord or being mature, like if he, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, right? The mature person is able to discern good and evil. How? Well, he's been equipped. <clears throat> And he's able, as a result of being equipped, to serve. And by way of doing that, he is able to go out and live as a mature person and thus build up the body of Jesus Christ. When you are fleshly minded, this is the result. All this right here. Cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Like, I will never think of this of Steve or anyone else coming I mean, because it goes against this very passage of scripture. But imagine in the Lord's church, because someone brought this up to my attention and I, I forget who it was and it was just out of a joke, but makes you think, right? Mitch, you know when you, uh, you've been out for two months? Be careful. Steve's been preaching. He does a great job preaching. <laughs> you might start packing your bags. <laughs> Can you imagine if that's actual mentality? That in the body of Christ, you have people jockeying to oust one another or trying to take each other's position. What, what, who does that? This is who does it. Children of God who are immature, fleshly minded. That's who does it. That's not what we're called to. That's not how you get to the perfect stature, the perfect man in Jesus Christ. That's not how the church is to be healthy. And so what he does is he says, this is how you become this mature, perfect body of believers. You speak the truth in love. And as a result, we may grow up in all things in him. And we become like our head. We just, we follow sync with our head's desire. And so we get to live the way Jesus lived. We get to love the way Jesus loved. We get to speak the way he did. We get to seek out individuals that he sought out, right? We're not simply sitting in these pews and saying, well, you know, if the people of the world want to come and worship with us, well, their doors are open. But with our attitudes, if we say, 
well, we want you to come with our lips, but our attitude is we want you to stay away from us because we're kind of happy the way we are, right? We've got a good thing going on here. Don't mess it up. That's not the way we do. But speaking the truth in love, this is what happens. We get to be just like Jesus. And so in every part of the body of Christ is supplying toward this goal that we have through the purpose by which we've been given, you start seeing changes. The body starts to heal up over time. And interestingly enough, it is an interesting organism, the Lord's church is, right? Because imagine if this is the case. Do you think by, by virtue of, of practicing this, we'll ever get here? Anyone ever think that we would actually get here? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. Because if we're continuing to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're reaching the gospel to those who are in darkness, guess what they're going to bring into the body of Christ? That darkness. The Lord may wash them from their sins, but they still have fleshly ways to, to put to death. Just like you still have fleshly ways to put to death. Just like I do. Right? I mean, how many of us saying we claim perfection? Okay, well, I'm the only one to raise my hand. No, I shouldn't even raise my hand. None of us. So what makes us think then that even while we're striving to, to do everything that we can, that we'll ever have that perfect scenario? No. There are Christians in the body of Christ after 30, 40, 50 years still putting off the flesh. Some just have more difficulty admitting it. But that's a reality. But if in fact we are growing, if in fact we are maturing, we look a lot more like the Spirit of God. We look a lot more like Jesus Christ individually. And if all of us individually are growing this way, then we start looking more like that collectively speaking. That's the picture that we have here. Okay? So the question is, what does this speaking the truth in love look like? What does this edification look like? Well, that's where we get to this next, next passage. And I want you to, to look. Just as a summary, the purpose is edifying the body of Christ. The goal is a perfect man. From a church standpoint, the purpose is for us to build one another up. Those among the saved building up the saved. Okay? And the goal then is for us as a congregation to be this healthy congregation where we are a shining beacon in a dark world. Right? So that when we go out and share the gospel, the gospel is in fact not only good news, the church is attractive. It's attractive to those who are seeking salvation. It is a, a message of foolishness to those that don't want salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. But to those who are wanting it, do you think they want to come to a church that there's fighting all the time? That's a reputation of a congregation. They wouldn't want that reputation as part of, is that what Christianity is about? No. But if they see a healthy congregation, a mature, healthy church, it's attractive. So how do you get there then? So I said, here's a second passage. I want you to read this text with me. Of course, this is nothing more than copy and paste into this, these next three slides from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Think about the ways that we speak the truth in love, the way we build up the body in Christ, and all you have to do is have this lived out in your walk. <clears throat> Abhor what is evil. I mean, truly hate it. 
Hate evil. Every form of it. When you see jealousy, hate jealousy. When you see people gossiping, hate the gossip. When you hear of individuals speaking in a manner that is very crude, brethren, we're guilty of it at times. Shun away from it. That's how we begin to speak the truth in love. That's how we begin to edify. And so instead of, abhor, instead of clinging to what is evil, cling to what is good, he says. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Remember this morning in, in our study in Job, here's Job's friends. And by the way, Job's friends, from my estimation, for all that we're going to see as we go through the, the study, the phrase was, you know, with, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Because that's what it felt like to Job at times. They're, they're good friends too. I mean, their intentions were good. They sat with Job for seven days, not saying a word, crying with him. The affection they have for Job is very good. In fact, when you read of Eliphaz's first initial rebuke against Job, he said, listen, you're the wise man. Look at how you've behaved toward others with your wisdom and your righteousness. So there's goodness. Those are things that make for good friends when we can live this way. He says, in honor, give preference to one another. Think about that. I guess the most simplified way of, of, of this kind of sense is, you know when you're both walking through the door, you go first. <laughs> it's that way in a lifestyle situation. Give preference because you honor and you esteem one another as higher than self. He says, do not lag in your diligence. As far as doing these things, don't lag. In contrast, be fervent. Be fervent, fervent in spirit. What you do, do well. When he says in Romans chapter 12 earlier, in verses 4 following, like if you have the, the gift of generosity, be very liberal in it. Be fervent in it. In your teaching, be fervent in your teaching. Those who have the ability to encourage, be great encouragers. Whatever the gifts, the talents may be, here's how you build up the body. You be fervent in it as you serve the Lord. You rejoice in hope. You be patient in tribulation. Think about that. If life is hard and you have difficulty struggling with whatever you struggle with, your own weaknesses, because you are serving the Lord, would you not want to have your brother or your sister next to you being patient with you as you struggle with your own individual weaknesses maybe even struggle with certain sins see that's how you speak the truth in love that's how you build up the body of christ according to what paul is saying here you're patient in tribulation you stay steadfast in prayer there's a i'm trying to be as vague as i can because this person may be listening to the sermon but I want to use this person as an example. This person has a child that has been for at least 10 years unfaithful to the Lord. This person cries very frequently over their child and the prodigal lifestyle that the child lives. And this person has asked me on various occasions over 10 plus years for their child. And I want you to know, I have hope for this child. Genuine hope. 
I mean, things cannot get any more worse for this young adult. But it can get a whole lot better. And why not continue steadfastly in prayer rather than woe is me? I mean, it can't get any worse. When you can be steadfast in your prayer, you can rejoice in hope that there is an expectation that this child can return. And I've seen it happen many, many times with children of God who have left the Lord and come back to the Lord. But that's what we do. You distribute to the needs of the saints. It is an absolute privilege, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, that the elders allow me the ability to sit in on their meetings, sit in on various discussions that they, they take very soberly into account, for them to speak of your souls individually at times, and what can be done for you to build you up in the faith, and may even be on moments like this, distributing to the needs of, oh, I don't know what I just did. <laughs> distributing to the needs of the saints. But that's what we have with regard to this, this body, this idea of, of giving ourselves to one another. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6. All these passages where there's the distribution to the needs of the saints. Because some of them struggle. Brad was mentioning how we're so blessed, right? We've got nice clothes on. That's what he was praying about. But not everyone has the same kinds of, of blessings that we have. And so we care for our needs. We have brethren not just in this congregation, but in the family of God in other parts of the world. And it's been very encouraging, whether it's helping out our brother in Manchester because of his wife's situation, Helping out a number of brethren that I know in the last year, our elders have made choices on thousands upon thousands of dollars to help people in need. Not just token help. And the things that you individually have done, like whenever someone is saying, hey, we need to help so-and-so out. I mean, I'm, this doesn't happen 100% of the time. There's always people falling through the cracks. That's part of our human being, being human. We have moments like that. We're not always perfect about it. But every time that I know we've asked for help for some person in need, I am absolutely floored. Absolutely floored. How much cash you have in your pockets? I mean, to, I, mean I don't know. If I, I, it's really encouraging that so-and-so is in need. And right after services, it's taken care of. Just beautiful to see. We're given to hospitality. Every single time you see these two going together, a lot of passages in the New Testament, talking about taking care of the needs of the saints, and then right on the heels of that is given to hospitality. Remember, we just had that sermon about loving the stranger. That's what hospitality is, right? Xenophobia. Not so, not, no, philoxenia, my bad. Xenophobia, stranger fears. That's, that's a wrong Greek word. <laughs> but given to hospitality. That's what we're supposed to be about. And here God has blessed us greatly financially speaking, materialistically speaking, that we can be of help to those in need. And it gets uncomfortable when we actually get in the trenches and get our hands dirty. But that's how we speak the truth in love. That's how we build up the body 
in love. He says, bless those who persecute you, right? Imagine within the body of Christ, people that are doing evil things. Just read 1 Peter. Read 2 John. And you have Christians who are going out from among those within the body of Christ out into the world. And they're making it hard for their brothers and sisters in Christ because they really aren't lovers of God. They're antichrist. And he says, you bless those who persecute you. You bless and you do not curse, he says. He says, you rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep, just like we were talking about this morning. You be of the same mind toward one another. You do not set your mind on high things. You associate with the humble. And so easy for us to want to do the very opposite when the rubber meets the road. Right? We want to look important. He says, you associate with the humble. He says, if you want to build up the body in love, do not be wise in your own opinion. Listen, it's taken me years. Because I was very wise in my own opinion. For, I mean, it seems like the older I'm getting, I'm learning how to be more humble about that. Follow my humble example, brethren. <laughs> no, really, don't be wise in your own opinions. We need to humble ourselves because we don't have all the answers. We were striving to learn and grow in the Lord, but we realize, man, there's so much more growth in our lives. He says, repay no one evil for evil. He says, have regard for good or good things in the sight of all men. Think about that. If we want the Lord's church to be built up, this is how you do it. This is how you speak truth in love. This is how you build up the body of Christ so that we become a perfect man. And when you do that, you glorify God. Here's the last part of verses um, 19 through 21. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on your end of this peace. What can you do? He says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. It's not our place. It's God's. He says, do not be overcome by evil. He says, do the opposite, overcome evil with good. So that's what we're taught, right? Very clearly, all the way we're supposed to live our lives. So I want to ask you, when you're teaching the Bible classes for our men and women who are teaching downstairs, we're equipping our children to live this life. So that our children learn how to serve, how to minister. So our children are learning how to become mature. So that our children are learning how we as a body of believers are one. And what we are teaching our children, that's what we're supposed to be doing. As equipped saints. And when we do it, it's no wonder that we'd be well-equipped to share the gospel, the good news with precious souls who are lost. With people living in darkness, it says, I want change, as Kenny was mentioning Elizabeth's example. There are many that are wanting change. And you know, what we can do is easily saying, you know, but once they get out of jail, once they get out of prison, once their circumstances get better, and it doesn't even have to be our incarcerated friends. It could be anyone in life. You know, once they get that helping hand that we've 
given to them, then they'll just go back to the old ways. And guess what? Maybe so. But who are we to judge that that's what they're going to do? That's not what we're called to do, to judge what they're going to do. Our goal is to bring them to Christ so that they can, if they become saints, they can be equipped over time. And we're going to be patient with that, just as we want God to be patient with our growth. That's what we have. Interesting that our song this morning is just as I am. God will take you just as you are. Boy, he has a work for you to change you where you are right now, to transform your life. That's called a life of repentance. And as you transform your life, you begin looking less and less like your person that you are in your sins and your weaknesses and more and more like him, one who is healthy, one who's beautiful, one who looks like that body that we're just talking about. If you're here and you're subject to that calling, I want you to know I take full, full um, responsibility because I was told I forgot to do whatever with the baptism and the water is a lot colder. <laughs> Dale told me to take, a, take responsibility if anyone's going to be baptized this morning. <laughs> Water's ice cold. <laughs> but you know what? Dying to the old man of sin is not easy. And if you're ready and willing to die to that old man of sin to put on Jesus Christ because you believe that he is the head, your Savior and your Lord, I invite you to come into that cold, watery grave. And brethren, if you need our prayers, by all means, we'll be happy to pray for you. Come forward as together we stand and sing.